0: I'm here today with Eric and a very special guest today. Carrie is going to kind of uh, let us into her journey a little bit and explain to us her story of recovery and triumph. And we're just really excited to hear it. Carrie, who are you today?
1: I am amazing. Amazing. Thank you, Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. Of course. Uh, so just to start, Carrie, if you wouldn't mind, just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, where you are from? What you do? All that good
1: stuff. All righty. Well, I am a mother of five. Um, I grew up in Wasilla, Um, that's where I went to school, uh, grade school and high school. Kind of grew up in a pretty broken home. Um, Parents were divorced when I was 12 and I had two younger brothers and kind of took on the role of helping take care of my brothers when my mom worked and that's kind of where I started my mishaps, you know, because I had a lot of freedom. mom was never home um having the teenagers over for parties and it kind of started there with the drinking and the smoking pot and it didn't really seem like too much of a big deal until a few few years later um i started getting in trouble with the law um was having a really hard time in school i think the alcohol was the major problem right off the bat for me and um My mother allowed me to drink at home because she felt that um, having me home and keeping an eye on me would be better than me out running around getting in trouble. And back then, you know, times were a little different than they are now, but um, that didn't work. (laughs) I still uh, managed to get myself in a lot of trouble. Um, I was shoplifting, I was stealing gas, I was, you name it, I was doing it. And it seemed like I was always in trouble. At all the parties, I was getting minor consumptions, and I swear they knew where I was every weekend. But um, getting in trouble with the law didn't seem to stop me at all. Let's see, I think my first um, first charge for getting in trouble with the law was, was a shoplifting charge, but then the major stuff came later. Um, I was charged with a felony fraud for um, possession and misuse of prescription medication.
0: Uh, yeah how old were you when when that uh, all went down
1: 22 22 mm-hmm.
0: and so after after that after the charges you know and you go do your time and you come out um where does the story kind of progress from there you know you kind of you get out you see this whole brand new world and you know
1: yeah what? i did i did 18 months over that charge and um i came right back out and continued to drink going to the bars. I had a young child. I think one of my downfalls was my relationship. I had always told myself I would never be in a relationship like my parents, but it seemed like every relationship I was in was just like my parents. So that was a huge downfall. Um, Very abusive situations and um, domestic violence charges kind of just went from there. And then then the real drugs came into play I uh, had done meth and cocaine for about 10 years and um, always tried to uh, take care of my kids the best I could you know thought I was doing okay didn't think I had that big of a problem Continued to you know go in and out of jail from that felony charge I was on felony probation so getting off that felony probation was like pulling teeth yeah. if you couldn't yeah. stay out of trouble and right. stay out of the system so i've been in the system since oh. i was well 18 but mm-hmm. i've been a felon since i was 23. Yeah.
2: And when you say uh, that you were doing your best to raise your children when you were growing up it sounds like you know you would use with your parents your parents were using in close proximity to you as well as uh, there was some violence you said domestic violence like Mm -hmm. in the home so when you say that when you go to you know raise your own children what that means that had to have been kind of confusing at times was that hard
1: it was very hard um trying to decipher if I was doing the right thing by staying with these men when I would leave them I was alone with small children trying to figure out how to keep food on the table and a drug habit yeah I did things that uh, were not legal, that were morally not right, um, things I'm not happy about and I can't change today. It was rough. You know, my mom always seemed to be involved in my life. She was always there to help me. She was always there to bail me out of jail. She was always there to let me stay with her, with my children, and I always counted on that. But it was a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. Um, because she was enabling me and we were reusing together and it was like I could just never get my feet on the ground. I didn't even know what that was.
0: Right.
1: Right. I finally, I think it all came to a head. You know, my children, I have five children. My youngest was I think six and I had got a um, charge in Fairbanks for uh, stealing a vehicle. And that's when, I mean, everything really spiraled down. Um, I actually ran from the charges. I came all the way from Fairbanks. Um, I didn't have my children at the time. Their dads were taking care of them because I was in and out of jail. And I ran from a warrant for over a year and a half. Wow. Wow. And continued to drink and use and just be completely devastated and miserable. Um, Living on the streets, living in vehicles, dope house to dope house um, trying to figure out what I needed to do and in those situations when you're using you know you don't want to go turn yourself in that's the last place I wanted to be was in jail I thought and um, I went all the way to Homer through Kenai and down to Seward trying to find work but where could I work with a warrant stealing food you know just to get by And finally, it was Halloween night, I think, 2015. Um, I was pretty intoxicated, but I had got to that point where I was just done. Mm -hmm. And um, we got pulled over for a taillight, and I said, "Um, take me to jail. I have a warrant. And they looked at me funny, and they were like, who tells us they have a (laughs) warrant, you know? And I was done. I, you know, I I was just completely done. And... um, that was hard figuring out how much jail time I was going to do. Um, the wreckage was
0: yeah.
1: absolutely insane. You know, my kids were all over the place with their dads. I had all these um, charges with the law and then my medical problems. I had developed a seizure disorder from all my drug use. Mm-hmm. And um, that, for about a year and a half, that went on and I finally got it under control. But, um, so I uh, I did some jail time, um, did a treatment program while I was in jail. I don't think I was in jail long enough that time because... Sorry to
2: interrupt, but I'm thinking you, you get pulled over. You're kind of at, you know, you're, 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 you're at your end. You're like, I'm done. Take me to jail. Is there a time when you're sitting in jail and you're like, dang, I wish I might not have done that? or are you like completely done at this point? I was you're actually
0: like, kind of thinking the same thing. Like
2: you like well, you know what? I'm done. I'm good <laughs> like or are you like sitting in jail a few weeks go by, you know, you're probably sick, you're tired and I mean, are you second guessing that?
1: Well, sometimes yeah. Sure, you know, it sure. is not a fun place to be. Sure. Um especially when you're really trying to get the help you need. Um it's a it's a waiting game. Um, where are they going to send me? Where am I going to get the best help? Um, how can I talk to my children? That was the worst, was, um, being in jail and not being able to talk to my family. Um, the jails have a system on the phone where you have to pay and you cannot make calls or get calls unless you pay the securest thing. So that was the most devastating thing was not being able to talk to my kids. So I wrote a lot of letters 2nd guess myself yeah a little bit but I knew at, I had gone so far down I knew at that point I probably wouldn't be alive mm. if, if I wasn't in jail it had gotten so bad and like I was gonna say earlier I didn't I wasn't there long enough um, mm. they had released me and let me out on probation um, because of my medical issues they couldn't deal with what I was going through with my seizures in jail and so they let me out a lot sooner than I probably should have.
2: How
1: long? Um, I think I was only in for about four months. Oh, well. Yeah, so it was long enough for me to get clean and sober and kind of figure out what I needed to do, but not long enough to be just let out and say, oh, here you go. Right. And I didn't have anywhere to go. I didn't know what to do. So basically I was let back out in the same situation with the same man, homeless going, okay, now what? Now I have to Mm -hmm. go do treatment and stay on felony probation and stay out of trouble. And how do you stay out of trouble when you're on the streets with people that are using and you don't really have anything? So I, you know, I faltered back and forth. You know, I always went straight back to using alcohol. Alcohol Mm -hmm. was my go-to every time. And I was, you know, I drank for a while and then um, I went to treatment. An outpatient uh, treatment for a little while and um, I had met another man and I married this man within three months. Biggest mistake <laughs> I've ever made you know. Yeah. Um, I think what it was with this man was I, I fell in love with his family. He had a normal family you know here's the family um, that sits around the dinner table at night you know and they do things together and I hadn't had that In a long long time and I just kind of fit myself into their family and they accepted me and um, that was amazing Um, but they didn't really know who I was we hit our drug issue from them and um, it came right back out Um, I had my son here for a summer two years ago and I got pulled over driving without a license and uh, felony DUI But I wasn't drinking this time. I was on meth and heroin with my child in the car. And, you know, at this point, you know, I thought I was okay. I thought I was okay to drive. And um, seeing the look on my son's face when they came and arrested me, I'll never forget it. You know, no, I was not okay. And I put my child in jeopardy and everybody else on the road. So um, that was it. When I went to jail that time, a lady came and talked to me from Wildwood and she goes, all right, what do you wanna do? And I said, I am not doing anything but treatment. Mm -hmm. And um, that's where I left it. And they came back with this new program. It's the Henio Wellness Court program. And it's 18 months long. You have to, it's very intensive. You know, and I'd always tried to take the easy road. Short treatment, outpatient, anything I could do just to be done and appease the courts. And I'm 38 years old at this point. None of that has worked. Right. And uh, so I wanted to try something different. And I wanted help this time. Truly right. wanted help. You know, everyone says that everyone has their bottom. I. I think I hit bottom and just kind of dragged along the way for a while mm-hmm. and saw no point of trying to fix my, my wreckage because it was so severe. Um, I didn't feel I was worth fixing. So um, I entered into this program, and, you know, it wasn't peachy right away. Um, I kind of fought their first phase for a while. It's the trust phase. You know, they want you to be honest. They want you to do all this treatment and if you mess up you need to tell them the truth well i lied about everything for so long it was really hard for me to do and and i relapsed a couple times and um they're like okay this isn't really working so i went and did seven and a half months inpatient best thing i've ever done don't regret Any of it. Um, And I got to see... that was
2: here in Alaska? Yes.
1: I went to Juneau, to the Rainforest Recovery Center. And I went to Sitka. That's one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen in Mm -hmm. Alaska. It is gorgeous. And then after that I went to uh, Dillingham. But um, while I was in treatment in Sitka, this is probably the, the biggest turning point in my recovery. My mom and both my brothers have always been active in addiction. And uh, my mom had a major heart attack. So I had to leave uh, treatment. They had her on life support and um, go down to Anchorage. And uh, she had had major strokes and basically bled out in her brain. And there was, there was really no coming back from that. And I had to take her off the life support and let her go. And um, I made it through not using, not drinking
2: which is pretty incredible cuz you were in a pretty vulnerable place at that point, right? Yes. I mean, um,
1: if there was any time in my life where I would have went one direction or the other, that was it and yeah. I knew it. And um but I also knew if I took that first drink, I was done. Yeah. I don't think I would have came back. I don't think I know I know I didn't have another one in me.
0: Mhm.
1: And um Thank God I had, you know, gotten enough treatment and my head straight enough to that point to to know that's not the road I wanted to go down. And um, I didn't want my children to watch me go down that way. And um, it was hard. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. But I did the right thing. My mother's wishes were not to be kept on life support. Um, if she would have woke up, she would have had to have 24-7 care. She wouldn't have been able to function. She probably wouldn't even have remembered us. So I know I did the right thing, even though it was horribly hard. Mm-hmm. But um, So I went right back to uh, treatment, uh, finished up in Dillingham, and then came home. And I'm still in the Henio Wellness Court program. And I was living at a transitional living center for women when I got home for about four months, I think, while I was waiting for housing. And I just, here in the past couple of weeks, moved into my own apartment. I have my six, awesome. 16-year-old daughter home with me, living with me now. Um, I'm working. I graduate treatment on the 18th. Complete treatment, complete. That's awesome. I'm a very active member in the NA, NA community, and I have an amazing sponsor. She actually works for Serenity House. Oh, wow. Yes, <laughs> cool. he- Heidi. Sure. Sponsor. Yeah. Um, our schedules are conflicting a lot with her work and my treatment schedules mm-hmm. and whatnot, but we we still maintain um, connection and it's it's an amazing relationship. If anyone's new, they gotta get a sponsor. Sure. Gotta right. get a sponsor. Yeah. It is one of the best relationships you know you can have in recovery and someone you can absolutely trust one hundred percent with anything you tell them and. Um,
2: and I understand you just recently celebrated one year of
0: sobriety, is that yes. right? Yes. Wow. Oh, the, congrats, 20,
1: awesome. the 21st I celebrated yeah. one year. Yeah, wow, Finally. congrats. Yeah.
0: And like you said before, that's something, you know, in your darkest days you would have never imagined happening. Oh, that never. It would even be impossible.
1: Never. I was, I was a 90-dayer. Yeah. You know, I could make it 90 days and then it was too much. I'd, I'd go drink or I'd go smoke mm-hmm. pot or I'd do something. It just right. didn't seem like I could handle sober life. But, um, all the people that I have met in recovery, they're my people now, you know? And it's like, uh, like where I just moved into my apartment, there's, there's drugs there, there's Mm -hmm. people drinking there. And a year or two ago, I would have wanted to hang out with those people, you know? Um, now I just, I don't, it's not appealing to me and Mm -hmm. you know, it's not that they're bad people. It's just they're not where I'm at today right so that's really nice and I have a lot of people that come over that are in recovery and we have birthday parties and you know we're starting game nights at my house (laughs) we just really try and stay connected Mm -hmm. and I go to four or five meetings a week I've already had a people a couple people ask me to be their sponsor but I'm I'm not there yet Um, but it's amazing that um, the shoes kind of on the other foot now mm-hmm. having people look at me and go wow she's she's got something that we want and that was me two years ago right. you know so it, it's been an amazing journey you know some things I would love to go back and change but yeah. can't do it all I can do is learn from them and go on and be a voice for for other people
2: when you say uh, that you've because this is a uh... Not a, an uncommon thing that I've been hearing as of late is that the community, the recovery community, on the uh, in Kenai Soldatna area is is incredible and something I think you said, uh, unlike anything you've ever really encountered. Uh, you've kind of lived all over. You had said, um, if people are out there that have entered recovery or are looking to try to do so, you know, um, how do they? And they're in the Kenai area how do they start you know that's got to be kind of overwhelming right at times kind of getting into that meeting getting into a resource you know mm-hmm. that first step is hard
1: it it is um you know and, and when you want help who do, who do you call what, do, what right. do you do there are places and people that you can call there's online you can go on to the NA, na907.org um, website and it will give you meeting times and places um there's phone numbers on there for um, helplines, to actually talk to a person and get some information, because it's really hard to just walk into a meeting by yourself. Yeah. But there are so many of us out there um, that are that are more than willing to take these people to a meeting. You know, because once you get into the room and just listen, it's um it's like nothing I've ever been a part of. You know, you can say no wrong, you can do no wrong in there. Um, The people in this program love you until you can love yourself unconditionally. And um, that's what we need in early recovery is, you know, people to hold us up Mm -hmm. until we can kind of start flying on our own. And um, the PCHS building in uh, Kenai is another huge resource for people that are early into recovery. They can point you in the right direction, help you with assessments, clothing, all sorts of things. Yeah, it's the Kenai Peninsula is um, amazing for recovery. I've I've never been a part of something this big, and the community. We do all sorts of things together. We do barbecues and fundraisers and color runs and just uh, we've got a camp venture coming up. And you know, you get involved and get involved in service work, and it, it gives your life meaning. Mm. You feel like you're giving back to your community and and. You're learning a new way to live. And it's uh, something I'm going to keep doing. Yeah.
2: So, one of the things that you talked about was that you're a 90-dayer, that you had been a 90-dayer. And that's kind of something that I've thought about before: is that, like, you hear a lot of people, you know, can do 30 or 60 or 90. What is it about, you know, an amount of time that it just, like, is it that, like, you kind of get over that? you know that crisis stage and then you just have to live life and maybe you don't have a ton of tools and maybe it's hard as well as that like that urge to use like does it just become too overwhelming and if it does how did you make it past what's different what was different this time or some of the other times when you've really especially this time you know those overwhelming things that make it to where it's done you know that recovery is kind of on hold. What changes? What did you do? Because that doesn't—that's I've heard that before. Mm-hmm. You know, just life it's, it's just it's like, very, this is just like it's very hard. common.
1: Yeah, um, in early recovery for me, I had to fall on my face a few times and go, "Okay, what am I doing wrong?" I wasn't using the tools. You know, I'd I'd get sixty or ninety days under my belt, I'd feel better. I didn't think I had to go to all these meetings anymore and I would just start slipping back into my old patterns and thought I was okay, thought I could do it on my own. And that is just not the case. When you start feeling like that, that's when you need to keep going to the meetings. That's when you need to reach out and call someone because you're you're already in a relapse at that Mm -hmm. point. I had to learn that the hard way, but um, I had a really hard time calling people, you know, we have phone lists, we have people to call and they're there for a reason. And I've never called anybody that didn't have time for me. Now, you know, I I have no problem calling my friends in recovery.
2: So you say kind of when you feel like you don't need to go to the meetings, that's kind of when you do Mm -hmm. need to go. That reminds me, maybe a little less, you know, not as intense, but this guy was telling me that I'm friends with you. He was like, oh man, you really need to do some meditating and I was like okay okay and so I did like some five minutes a day for a while and then he goes oh you're still meditating I go oh dude I don't have time for that anymore and he goes that's when you have like when you don't when you think you don't have time that's when you need to take even more time so not on, kind of the same not the same exact thing but kind of like the sometimes when you're like oh I don't I don't need that anymore is when you kind of need it the most but that can be confusing. Yeah. Like I'm kind of yeah. get confused by that. I'm like, is. dude, but I don't. And he's like, but you do. You know. Mm-hmm. And that's like on the community, on the recovery aspect. It's like, like that's when you really need to. So would you recommend maybe like, you know, because that can be confusing. You know, you hear a lot about like that. That kind of you're your own worst enemy at times. You get, you're like, oh, I don't really need to go. And then sometimes you need kind of that external voice, those people around you, like. Is early on kind of investing in a sponsor, investing in connections and investing in people that will hold you accountable, like getting those tools, getting those people who, when you are kind of your own worst enemy or kind of your own worst advice, are there to give you some like solid advice? And like, how do you get plugged into that early?
1: Um, When you first come into the NA meetings, they, they give you phone lists, you know, you try to get connected with people, try to get connected with people that have a little bit of time that can give you the advice you're going to need. Sometimes it's not always what you want to hear, but it's what we need to hear and getting a sponsor pretty early is, is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes it takes a minute for you to connect with someone or see who might be a good fit for you. But even if it takes you a few to get a sponsor, call the people on those lists, you know, stay connected, uh, do the activities that are going on with that group of people. And, um, it, that helps that helped me in early recovery. Um, because doing that transition of your old friends that you used to use with and then transitioning into this group of people that do all these things without drugs and alcohol is a touchy subject for people. You know, I didn't like going fishing without drinking. Um, I didn't like doing much without drinking. Yeah. But nothing seemed to be fun, nothing seemed to be enjoyable now i do all these amazing things and with no thoughts of drinking actually glad that i don't have to drink you know it's a pretty freeing feeling that i can go out and go fishing or go to the movies or have game night and no thoughts of alcohol or drugs at my house and it's it's pretty cool
2: yeah we were uh, talking to a woman yesterday and she said that very similar thing she goes I went camping. I forget exactly what event it was, but she had went camping with her family and she, uh, she said for the first time like she sat around the fire and then like looking back after she was camping a couple days later, she looked back on having gone camping and she thought, "Wow, like for the first time I had like sat around a fire and I thought and I did not think, you know, it would be go, go good with this beer." Like for the first time that was mm-hmm. not a thought and she was like super happy about it and that does sound incredibly freeing
1: it is very freeing i was the type of alcoholic that had to get up and and drink before i even woke my kids up for school it was a huge crutch Mm -hmm. i think alcohol dts are some of the worst things Mm -hmm. that you can really go through i mean you you can die and um i was very close to that many times and uh i don't have to worry about that anymore you know they they say the desire leaves you it takes a little bit but it does start to leave you because i'm living proof of that i don't want to drink anymore i i just don't you know my my kids ask me well are you gonna smoke pot when you're done and it didn't even cross my mind the other day and i just said no you know because i i had always saved a reservation because weed's legal i'm like you know i it's a mind altering substance and to me i don't need it and it's and to me it's a gateway drug i start smoking pot i'm gonna be drinking if i'm Mm -hmm. drinking i'm doing heroin you know and it's just not something um i'm gonna risk for sure you know other people can handle it you know like my neighbor he drinks but he's not one of those obnoxious people that um yells and screams at his wife and causes problems or whatnot, you know, it's just like my kids, well, can't you have just one? No, I'm, I'm the type of person that cannot just have one. Some people can come home and have a beer after work. I can't, you know, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, there are so many more things in my life today that I replace with that, you know, I don't, I don't have to drink to be happy I don't have to drink when I'm sad Mm -hmm. you know I can feel my emotions and not be a train wreck you know which takes a minute Mm -hmm. but um, I have come come a long way and one thing you know I don't talk about a lot but I feel like that I can now you know it's really important in my recovery is um, I was sexually abused as a child very young and I never really knew how to deal with that I didn't know who to talk to about it until you know I did some treatment and therapy and whatnot and now I can look back on it and see where it played a huge part in my relationships and
0: um you mentioned those relationships were a big part of everything else
1: yeah It um, snowballed there I never wanted to be alone I always had to have someone or in my life whether it was good or bad and uh that's huge for me today. You know, I'm I'm single, I'm divorced and I am perfectly happy. You know, I don't have to have someone in my life to make me happy. I make me happy. Yeah. And um that's amazing. Yeah. And the relationships I have today, you know, getting to know people and getting to, um being friends and you know, there's a thing out there called dating never knew never knew what that was you know never knew what that even looked like you know that's new so um i'm uh yeah Yeah. free white and single (laughs) and and you know i'm just loving every minute of it you know my life today is is genuine my son's getting ready to come for a visit my twin daughters live here in nakiski they're on vacation right now but when they get back you know i have them back in my life you know, I have all my children back in my life today, and that's because I decided to get help mm-hmm. and stay in a program. And the good thing about the NA program is um, it's not specific. It's, it's your program, mm-hmm. you know. Um, the way someone else works, that program may not work for me, but I learn from those people what works for them and what doesn't, you know. And I apply it to my life and what works for me and what doesn't and share it with others so they can apply it that's just how the program works and it's amazing
0: the coolest part of your whole story to me as you mentioned earlier you know you, when you were at your lowest low you know like that you didn't feel like you deserved to even get better like you felt so unworthy of loving yourself that what was the point you know and you've come so far to this point now where you like you just said like and I'm loving it like you finally really really loving yourself and like that's that's the most celebrated part for me for recovery is to see these people you know finally find their own worth and you know in mm-hmm. your sort it's just it's really cool to see you know you, even just in your facial expressions from the two different sides of the story you know you're yeah, smiling now and that's exciting
1: you know that was kind of a little journey it kind of happened at rainforest really in Juneau. i was away from everybody i finally gave myself time for me mm-hmm and i And that's where I started to kind of find myself along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I figured out you know I like doing things that I never knew I liked before you know i I'm not the best at it, but I like to draw, you mm-hmm. know um I make jewelry and stuff yeah. now, you know I have hobbies and just things that I didn't even know about myself which which is really amazing but um. Feeling confident and having that self worth back, and knowing I'm smart and I'm a beautiful person, and, and I am worth it. Yeah, totally. You know, I know that now. I didn't before. I didn't even want to feel. Right. You know, and that's that's a big thing in recovery. That's why we use and that's why we drink. You know, is we don't want to feel our emotions and and uh, all the wreckage of our past sneaks up on us, and we just think it's too much of a load but um we can get rid of it a little bit of a time mm-hmm. and um yeah it's really amazing never thought i'd be sitting here today right. but, you know yeah.
2: thank you so much for sharing your story Carrie. you uh you know went from you know fighting so much and then you know coming oh one thing before we i thought was cool is now you said like you were riding with a friend the other day and you got pulled over and you know, you tell <laughs> me, you know, cause I was about to say, you know, it was <clears throat> from one tail light, you know, and then that's kind of, you're like, I'm done. You know, you go from being done to hitting your bottom to dragging along. And now, you know, you get into recovery, you go through this work, you find your worth, you find hope, you find joy. You're here telling us and to be, you know, a living, breathing example of, of despair to like true hope and true recovery especially for the people in the Central Peninsula that can plug into the NA program that all the different programs and you know find a sponsor and get in inve- bet and be held accountable and find new habits all these great things but what's so funny is earlier we were talking you said you know like the, this taillight, and then now today you're riding with <laughs> a friend and you get pulled over and you're like
1: Here's,
2: here, I'm good, you know, and no, no <laughs> nothing. stress, nothing. Ooh. I didn't
1: even get searched. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, just good. Yeah. yeah it, it's pretty, it's a pretty amazing feeling, you know, and that's another thing that's changed for me is my, my attitude towards the law, you know, um, I have the utmost respect for the probation officers and, and the police department and, you know, they're just people too doing their jobs sure, right. and, and, you know, they, uh, they want to see us get better. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, if it hadn't taken all those times to Wildwood, I wouldn't be where I'm at today, you know. So there's a lot of them out there, I think, for um, not giving up on me, you know. And if you're new, don't give up on yourself. You know, we falter and we fall. We make mistakes, but um, just keep coming back.
2: Thank you so much. This is Eric and Carrie and Aaron. We are you and I for the Kenai. Thank you so much.